Thank you for spending this time. Um, we just couldn't escape that it was, it was important to address this together. I'm Pastor Bill, um, and I had to figure out this week how to transition from this tragedy. And honestly, right, the tragedies of so many mass shootings, so much violence and hate and evil in the world. And I had to figure out how do we transition from that to a normal Sunday sermon. And as I was praying, it struck me that the evil in the world is one of the reasons we need to become ever more godly followers of Jesus. Jesus says that we're the salt of the world and the light of the world. And it sounds like Q and Cindy were that from the testimonies of the people who knew them. And it just seems to be more and more essential for our world, for our country, for our city, for our workplaces, for our families. It seems to be more and more essential for every one of us who claim to follow Jesus to become even more godly, devoted follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus so that we can stand against the evil, so that we can stand courageously for what is good. And so I realize that today's sermon on taking ownership of our growing is critical for the sake of our broken culture and our broken world. So what if I could show you a guaranteed strategy to shape you to be godly over the decades of your life for the rest of your life. That's what I want to share with you today. A guaranteed biblical strategy to shape you to be godly over the decades of your life for the rest of your life. If you had that kind of guarantee that you could become an ever more increasingly godly person, if you found a way that would help you become more and more fully your truest self, who you were created to be in Christ Jesus. If you had a guaranteed way to continually grow the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness in your life. If you had a sure way to transform you to more courageously be salt and light in the world, would you do it? But before you can answer that question, you have to know there's a catch. This biblical strategy for godliness, while guaranteed, it will require you to invest a minimum of 15 minutes to 30 minutes a day minimum nearly every day for the rest of your life. But if we do it, it is guaranteed to transform us into godly people of goodness and grace and love and power and holiness. So today is the second message in our Taking Ownership series. I wanna talk about taking ownership of our growing. Last week we talked about owning our doing. Today I wanna to talk about owning our growing. How do we grow to become ever more merciful and powerful and courageous people of God? 
So our scripture this morning is 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul, as an older mentor in the faith, is talking to Timothy, who's probably in his late 20s or maybe early 30s. And Paul is talking to Timothy about how to grow in godliness. And he writes this in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 9. He says, Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. I'll let you figure out what those are in your life, okay? Might have something to do with social media, might have something to do with gaming, might have something to do with whatever. I'll let you figure out what that is. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales because they just, there's so many things that just distract us from the most important things. I don't know what those are for you. Have nothing to do with those distractions. Rather, Paul says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both in the present life and the life to come. And Paul ends by saying, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, Paul is saying, this is a guaranteed strategy to produce fruit in your life now and throughout eternity. So what is the strategy? It is very simply, but also very profoundly, to train ourselves to be godly. What does that mean? Well, at the barest minimum, it means that we take ownership of our growing. No one else can do our growing in godliness for us. No one else is to blame if we don't grow in godliness. We're not told to expect somebody else to grow us in godliness. We're told to train ourselves to be godly. So looking at these very three very short verses, I want to briefly look at what it means to be godly and then what it means to be in training. And then I want to spend most of our time on how we train ourselves to be godly for such a time as this. So first, what does it mean to be godly? No surprises here, okay? Godly means to live with a bent or a leaning towards God. The original Greek word has to do with bowing before a god. And for the Greeks before Christ, the word came to refer to a virtuous life that was reverent and that had awe for the divine. In the New Testament, godliness describes a life that honors God, a life of obedience to God, a life that is, is surrounded or, or that is oriented around God. So God is the center of a godly life. It means to organize our lives around the character and community and mission of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's the same word that's used in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where we are told that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us according to his own power and goodness. Same word again. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, where we are told followers of Jesus are told to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. 
And then a little further in 1 Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy again and says to Timothy, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So, number one, God has provided us already. God has provided us everything we need for a life of godliness. Number two, it's going to involve renouncing ungodliness and worldly desires. And that's hard work, folks, because the world is trying to press us into its mold, and the world has been trying to do that since the day we were born. It's going to mean renouncing values that are in the world that are not of God, values that are in our family that are not of God, values in our churches that are not of God. It's going to involve renouncing worldly desires. And the third thing we get from these three verses is that godliness is something that we have to actively pursue. It's not going to happen to us because we show up at church every Sunday for the rest of our lives or show up at small group. Godliness is something we're going to have to actively pursue if we're going to become the kind of people who courageously confront evil and stand for what is good. So what does it mean to be in training? Well, the word for train here is the root word gym, as in gymnasium. And I know some of us really hate the gym, but the scriptures tell us here straight up that training in godliness is going to be like going to the gym. It means that training in godliness is going to take some effort. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take practice. And one of the things, if you... If you're at the gym a lot, it's going to take repetition, doing things over and over and over again to set new patterns in our lives because godliness is not going to happen to us by accident. It's not going to happen to us without us thinking about it strategically. Godliness in our lives isn't going to happen to us randomly. It's not going to happen to us just because we show up somewhere or read another book or go to another meeting. Godliness doesn't come from hearing sermons. It comes from training ourselves, like when we go to the gym. This is not a new idea to us, right? In every area of our lives, we know that we cannot reap what we don't sow. If we don't plant, plant, plant seeds, we're not going to reap a harvest. We can't become great musicians if we don't practice. We can't learn how to drive a car if we don't practice. We can't become great in our career without practice. No one can ever become a great surgeon without getting in an operating room and practicing the skills. Everything worthwhile that we accomplish takes effort and time and intentionality and practice. So how do we train ourselves to be godly? And you know, I've mentioned this over the last few weeks. Um, I have like four more sermons here before I retire. And so there are some things that I wanted to say to you that some of you are going to say, yeah, he sounds like a broken record, and that's okay with me. There are some things that I want to say to you again loudly and clearly so that we cannot miss it. And I want to tell you that the only enduring effective tools that I have discovered to train, our, to train ourselves to be godly are biblical, spiritual exercises. The only enduring effective tools that I've found to train ourselves in godliness 
are biblical spiritual exercises. If we want to live with a bent towards God, if we want to live a God-centric life, then there's no other way, I don't think, other than to commit to daily spiritual practices, daily spiritual exercises, daily spiritual disciplines. Why? Because spiritual exercises create spaces in our life for God to enter in and transform us where we cannot transform ourselves, All right? Spiritual exercises, they give you no bonus points. Spiritual exercises don't transform you. Spiritual exercises create spaces in our life where God moves in and inhabits our life and transforms us where we cannot transform ourselves. I've walked with God now for over 60 years, and I've discovered that the way that I become continually more like Jesus is to devote myself to spiritual exercises. And so let's talk about spiritual exercises. A couple foundational truths, and if you've been in classes with me, you've heard these before, but that's okay. I want, to hear, I want you to hear it again. Number one, when it comes to spiritual exercises, we must realize that godliness is not within our power to accomplish. Godliness, the scriptures say over and over again, godliness is a work of the Holy Spirit. Only God has the power to transform us, to transform any human person. Only God has the power to transform us from the inside out. We can do behavior modification from the outside in, but only God has the power to transform us from the inside out. And we come across this throughout scriptures. Romans 8, 27 to 29 reminds us that it is God who calls believers and God who predestines them to be conformed to the image of his son. Without the call of God, we can never be transformed. We cannot be like Jesus because that work is too deep and profound for a human being to accomplish. Galatians chapter 4 verse 19 says that Christ is being formed in us. We're not the ones doing the forming. We are, he is being formed. We are acted upon. Christ is being formed in us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are being transformed into Christ's likeness with ever-increasing glory, which is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We don't transform ourselves. Transformation is from the Lord who is the Spirit. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says it again. It's in the passive voice. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, which means that transformation from the inside out that we're talking about to become courageous people of God who stand against evil and stand for what is good, people who make a difference in the world, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot bully yourself into being godly. You cannot strong will your way to godliness. The Bible insists that only God has the power to transform us at the very depths of who we are. And we know this. Because many of us have tried to do that transformation really, 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 really hard. And we keep running up against it's not within our power. This is a work of God. That said, the Bible also insists 
that we are not passive in growing in godliness. While God initiates and empowers, he invites us, his followers, to respond to his power and his initiation, to cooperate with his power in our transformation. So while godliness is the work of the Holy Spirit, we're an integral part of it. God invites us to join him in his work of transformation. So Colossians 3, verses 9 through 10, says to Christians, take off the old self and put on the new self, being renewed in the image of the, of, the, of the creator. So God the creator does the renewing, but we're invited to put off and put on. One of the problems that gets us stuck in, this, in the, the Christian journey is we wait around for God to do something that God has told us to do. Or on the other side, we try to do something that only God can do. So having clarity on God's part and our part is essential. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, be imitators of God. The Spirit is the only one that can make us like God, but we are invited to choose to imitate God. And every command of Scripture is an invitation from God to join him in transforming us to be godly. In the words of Dallas Willard, one of my mentors, he says, we hoist the sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. When we commit to spiritual exercises, we create spaces for God to enter our lives more fully, to change what we cannot change by our human effort. Which means, thirdly, on this point and how, um, godliness happens in the context of an amazing divine human partnership. It's not just all God, and it's not all us. God honors us in, in giving us the power to be transformed, to be more like Jesus, but he honors us by inviting us to be part of that. So the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3.12, he says that, he says, I press on to take hold. That's our part in our godliness. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. That's God's part in our transformation. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul says, I labor, struggling. That's going to be our part. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some labor. Paul says, I labor, struggling with all Christ's energy, which powerfully works within me. That's God's part. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says that we as believers, we sow and we water the plants, but only God can make the harvest grow. And then in that passage, Paul says that we become God's fellow workers. So, quick summary, critical to know for your godliness. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to transform us from the inside out. But we are not passive in our, transform, in our transformation, in our godliness. If we are passive, we will not grow more godly. Okay, that's bottom line. If we just show up to church, we will not grow more godly. If we do not commit to spiritual exercises, we will not grow more godly. Which means, thirdly, that growing in godliness happens in the context of a divine human partnership. But there's something else critical, I think utterly essential, for us to strive for. Could we please, 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 See that spiritual exercises, they're not rules from God. 
they're invitations from God. Invitations from God to join him, to be his fellow workers. Spiritual exercises, when we treat them as rules and commandments and expectations that God is oppressively expecting in our lives, they just wear us out and they drain us and we actually get resentful and angry. If we can see spiritual exercises as invitations from God to make space in our lives so that we can become more fully our truest selves, to empower us to confront what is evil and to promote what is good, if we can see spiritual exercises as loving invitations, it will change how we live our Christian lives. Scripture intake is not a rule that God wants you to feel guilty that you're not reading your Bible enough. Scripture intake is an invitation to hear the actual voice of God speaking specifically to you. Worship is an invitation to experience the overwhelming goodness of the presence of God. It's not something you're supposed to do because the Bible says don't neglect gathering together with the saints. It's an invitation to experience the goodness of God. Fasting is an invitation to deny ourselves so that we can learn how to be more satisfied with God than even with food. Prayer is an invitation to share our heart with God and hear God share his heart with us. Loving community is an invitation to gather with a group of people and let them see our blind spots so they can help us grow beyond our blind spots. Serving is an invitation to be like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. Serving is an invitation to care for other people, to not come to get, but to come to give. Doing justice is an invitation to stand up for what is right in this world and to advocate for those who are victims of injustice. Solitude. It's not a rule that God says you've got to spend time alone. Solitude is an invitation to be with God without distractions. And that takes a lot of work, by the way. Okay, If you've started to practice the exercise of solitude, you get rid of all the distractions out there, and then you realize the noisiest distractions are all in here. And it takes practice to get good at being with God without distractions. But what happens when we do get there is we receive more of God's wisdom and grace and love and goodness. Study is an invitation to discern the deep things of our faith. Generosity is an invitation to share our resources and to discover it really, really is better to give than to receive. Meditation is an invitation to allow God's thoughts to shape our thoughts. You see, in study and other areas, we're thinking about God. In meditation, we let God's thoughts guide our thoughts. Simplicity, an invitation to realize how much everything we own owns us. It's an invitation to get free of the bondage of all the things that we own or want to own. Sabbath rest. And these are just, I could list, we could list 50 spiritual exercises, right? Sabbath rest is an invitation to let go of all the things that drive us. 
to rest and receive those things that revitalize us. So, question. How many of you have ever demanded that your romantic partner go on a date with you? If you did, I'm pretty sure you're not with that person anymore. Because if we're smart, we don't demand. We invite our significant other to go on dates with us. And there's a huge difference. Rules are demands that we resent. Love is about invitations that we deeply want. And if we see spiritual exercises in our Christian life as obligations, like I said, they'll wear us out and they'll wear us down. But they're not demands. God lovingly invites us. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lovingly, lovingly invite us to be with him, to enjoy him, to create space for him, to have our hearts enlarged and our souls deepened. Paul says that spiritual exercises are actually a lot like physical exercises. Sorry if you don't like physical exercise, but Paul, and it's not just here in this passage. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25, Paul also uses this athletic imagery. And he writes and says this, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Don't just drop in with the crowd and do what everybody else. Run in such a way as to get the prize. He says, everyone who competes in the games, he says, everyone who competes goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. You know, it's just a garland of plants on your, on your head. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man just blindly boxing in the air, which tells us that athletes can train wisely or they can train stupidly. We know this, right? Wise training involves a well-rounded, diverse regimen of exercises. If an athlete only does, you know, one kind of exercise, if an athlete only ever does leg day and never any other part, they'll be really strong in, in some areas, but they'll be really, really weak in other areas. Paul was unwilling to train aimlessly in his spiritual exercises. He wanted a plan. He didn't want to just kind of see whatever book he read next or, or sermon he had and then adapt, to throw. He wanted to have an intentional plan of well-rounded spiritual exercises so that he didn't just do one thing and then have these massive blind spots elsewhere, which is what happens if we don't own our growing. In physical fitness, there are basic exercises for everyone, and it's true in our spiritual fitness as well. Stretching is for everybody all the time for physical fitness. Basic cardiovascular training is for everybody all the time. Watching one's food intake is pretty much, whether we like it or not, it's for everybody all the time. The same is true, there are Christian spiritual exercises that are for everybody all the time. Scripture intake, prayer, Christian fellowship, worship in spirit and truth. Those are for everybody, All the, those are for us to be always nurturing for the rest of our lives. But just so that we're clear, there are also specialized 
physical exercises for specific purposes, and there are specialized spiritual exercises for specific purposes. These will usually come into your life to deal with some flaw or some sin, and you're going to need to think, what is the spiritual exercise that will most help me defeat this besetting sin in my life? Or there'll be spiritual exercises that will align with your holy calling, that God wants you to be a particular kind of person to make a particular difference. And so he's going to give you unique spiritual exercises to align with your holy calling. And there will be spiritual exercises. Some will be for the rest of our lives forever. Others will come and go with the seasons, depending on what the Lord is trying to do with us. And then one other, just one of the similarity between physical exercises and spiritual exercises is that we get the benefit of our exercising only as long as we keep on exercising. I wish that I could do all my exercises, you know, this week and not have to exercise for the rest of the year. That's not the way it works. When we stop our exercises, the benefits stop and we get out of shape, both physically and spiritually. So the whole message, the whole point of this message today is this. Spiritual exercises, intentional spiritual exercises are the means by which we move from passivity to intentionality and it's the way that we grow in depth and in godliness. So we have to ask the question, right? We should ask, it seems. Is spiritual exercise in the gymnasium of godliness worth it? Because it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some time. Is it worth it? So Paul answers that in verse 8 when he says, physical training is of some value. We know that. We all know. Whether we're in shape or not, we know that it would be, more, it'd be better for us if we were. Physical training is of some value. Paul says, but godliness, that life oriented to God, Godliness has value for all things. There's nothing in your life that won't benefit from your growing in godliness. Godliness is of value for all things, and not just in this life. It holds promise for this present life and for the life to come. This is a guaranteed strategy for you to be blessed beyond what you can ask or imagine. Dedication to spiritual exercises to train ourselves to be godly. Guaranteed to give you blessings now and forever more. If we will commit to spiritual exercises for the rest of our lives, we will become more fully alive we will face the challenges of life with greater and greater confidence. We'll live lives of greater significance and greater joy. We'll develop relationships of love and commitment. We'll be known like the chose as people of goodness and grace. I didn't, never met the chose, but I read a lot about them this week. They are being mourned in multiple churches around the country because they lived lives of goodness and grace. 
if we will commit to spiritual exercises, to stand for what is right and against what is wrong, when our time to pass comes, whenever that is, we will be mourned like the chose. And our lives will be celebrated like their lives have been celebrated. So to wrap this thing up, last week in owning our doing, I gave you a rubric to go through after every sermon so that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so I want to put that, that up on the screen again. I'm not going to go through it. I'm not going to explain it to you. I'll just review it quickly. But you may want to take a picture of this because this whole thing about taking ownership means that we've got to move from hearing sermons to doing something about them. So here's the rubric that I shared last week. And if you didn't hear the message last week, you can go on YouTube and listen to it. Um, the rubric asks us to ask four questions after every time we hear a message from the Lord. First question is what? What did I just hear from the Lord? And I want you to ask that for the message today. Sometime within the next 24 hours, would you go through this rubric and ask, what did I hear from the Lord in that message? Second question, so what? Why does this message matter for me? Why does God want me to hear this message right now? Whatever that message is that you hear from the Spirit, there's going to be a reason why the Spirit is giving it to you. Third question, now what? What am I going to do about what I just heard? What are going to be my action steps in response to what I've heard from the Lord? This is where I suspect for in response to this message that most of us are probably supposed to find some spiritual exercise in our life that has waned or, or somehow it's lost its attraction to us and maybe we're supposed to revitalize it. Maybe we're supposed to see it as an invitation and not a duty. Maybe we're supposed to stop feeling guilty about it and start to see it as an opportunity. And I suspect that not only might there be a spiritual exercise that we've kind of lost to revitalize, but I suspect for most of us, there may be a new spiritual exercise that, that the Spirit might say, I'd like you to do this exercise for the next few months or through the summer or through the remainder of 2023. Now what puts actions to what we've heard so that we are doers of the word and not hearers only? And then the fourth question that we ask in the rubric is now who? Who can I share this with? Who can I share my spiritual exercise plan with? Who can help me accomplish it? In conclusion, we actually have a God-given guaranteed strategy to shape us to be men and women of God in this broken world. But it will take some effort. It will take some daily commitment. So the only question is, are you in? Or are you going to keep on watching from the sidelines? Will you commit today and for the rest of your life continually recommit to train yourself to be godly with daily spiritual exercises. Let's pray. Father, we know that there is a cost of discipleship in the gym of godliness. Would you help every one of us hearing this message? 
would you help us to see that non-discipleship, unintentional Christian living is far, far costlier than the cost of discipleship. Help us realize that if we do not train ourselves to be godly, the world will train us to be ungodly. Convict us that if we don't own our growing, the world will own our souls and our destiny. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us all we need for a life of godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. Thank you for such a guaranteed strategy for more godliness for the rest of our lives. And would you give us creativity as we develop this well-rounded regimen of spiritual exercises that will change here and there, but some of it will only get deeper and deeper, but will stay the same? Help us to creatively find the exercise regimens that you want uniquely for us. That will give us blessings in this life and for all eternity. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.